Hello, and welcome to Based on a True Story, the podcast that compares your favorite Hollywood movies with history. Today, we're going to be learning about the 1997 movie, Donnie Brasco. And who better to help us separate fact from fiction in the movie than Donnie Brasco himself? That's right. Today, we'll be talking with retired FBI agent Joe Pistone, who's best known for his deep cover work as Donnie Brasco. And joining us will be writer, producer, actor, and friend of Joe's for 22 years, Leo Rossi. Together, Joe and Leo run a podcast called Deep Cover that dives into Joe's deep undercover work. But before we connect with Joe and Leo, let's set up our game. Two truths and a lie. If you're new to the show, here's how it works. I'm about to say three things. Two of them are true, and that means one of them is a lie. Are you ready? Okay, here they are. Number one, Joe did not visit his family as frequently as we see in the movie. Number two, Joe's undercover work resulted in 100 convictions just like the movie shows. And number three, there really was a lion. Got him? Okay, now, as you're listening to our story today, your challenge is to find the two facts scattered somewhere throughout the episode, and by a simple process of elimination, you'll be able to find out which one is a lie. And of course, we'll do a recap at the end of the episode to see how well you did. All right, now it's time to chat with Leo Rossi and Joe Pistone, aka the real Donnie Brasco, about the historical accuracy of Donnie Brasco. All right, we'll get into some of the details about the true story behind the movie, but first, I want to ask you, Joe, what was it like the first time you saw the movie about you? Overall, do you think it did a good job of capturing the essence of the undercover operation? Well, the first time I, I saw the, the completed movie, you know, during the course of the film, you see dailies, you know, what you shot during the day, but you don't see the whole the whole movie. I was in the theater with Johnny Depp. Uh, it, it was funny because... Uh, Near the end, I look at him, he looked at me, and I had a couple tears in my eyes. <laughs> and he had a couple tears in his eyes. Because, you know, you, you listen, man, they made a movie about me, you know, about the case. And it's it's surreal. As far as the movie goes, they were probably 85% on the money as far as uh, reality. There are some scenes in the movie that, Strictly Hollywood, and if I may, to your listeners that uh, may have seen the movie or going to see the movie, Donnie Brasco, is that uh, I never slapped my wife. <laughs> That's that that actually was not in the original script. That was uh, that was put on put in on the day. I never slapped my wife. We never went to a psychiatrist because I never I never was home that much to go to a psychiatrist with her. And uh, I didn't have a bag of $300,000 in a bag. And I didn't saw that guy's leg off with a hacksaw. If you saw the movie after those three guys were killed, I mean, that, that was legit. Those three guys were killed. But I didn't, I didn't saw his leg off with a hacksaw. Other than that, the movie was pretty, pretty much on the money. They were the, the, the four glaring uh, mischaracterations. If you saw the movie... I'm driving across the George Washington Bridge to go to go to Jersey to go home. Well, my family lived across the country. So, you know, once we started that operation, I, I very seldom got home to see my family. OK, yeah, it wasn't nearly as as close as the movie makes it seem. Yeah, yeah. I want to actually ask you this as well, Leo. Since you're more familiar with the the movie making side of Hollywood and, and acting and stuff, now, and, but now that you're making the deep cover podcast with Joe, 
What was your perspective on the movie Donnie Brasco, and how has it changed since the first time that you saw it? Well, you know, the first time I saw it, and I, I didn't know Joe at that time, but um, I thought it was very authentic. I thought uh, it was just very well made, you know, and I said, you know, who is this lunatic that would go deep cover for all those years? I said, this guy's got to be looked at. No, I, I thought it was, I was watching something that, showed me there are still heroes in America. And uh, that's the way I felt. And then when I met him, you know, he didn't disappoint. You know, as they say, uh, uh, Dan, I guess the movie has legs, right, Leo? Oh, you, we, we pray for that. <laughs> but you can't go a week without that movie not being on television before the country got shut down with the virus, uh, uh, Dan. I, I do a lot of work overseas for uh, the State Department and DOJ. I'd wake up in uh, Estonia. You know, I fall asleep with the television on. I wake up at three o'clock in the morning and I say, Christ, I know that voice. <laughs> and it's the movie. <laughs> like, you know, it's crazy. But thank, thank God. Thank you, God. Yes. You know, they didn't they have that it's one of the top three mafia movies that of all time. Yeah. Yeah. And Joe and I talked about this. Uh, Joe's got his favorites, you know, and everything. But what we both agree on that as far as authenticity and, and really nitty gritty street, uh, well, Goodfellas did it. Certainly Donnie Brasco did it. The Godfather was more like an opera. And it, it just was, it was beautiful, wonderful film, but, um, you know, I think we're missing a little bit of that uh, nitty grittiness, you know? Yeah, not 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 quite as realistic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, one thing I know a lot of movies do is to create a lot of fictional or composite characters, simplify the storyline. Of course, we know Donnie Brasco was real. <laughs> but then the other main characters in the movie are Al Pacino's character, Benjamin uh, Ruggiero or Lefty. And then there's Sonny Black. Nikki and Polly are kind of the the main characters there. Were they all based on real people? Yes, they were. Michael Matson played uh, uh, Sonny Black, and of course Ruggiero uh, was played by Al Pacino. And the other individuals were based on real individuals that were in in Sonny's crew, in the crew that I that I hung around with in the Bonanno family. Now, in the movie, the way that it shows you getting connected with the mob Joe is as Don the jeweler. And there's a job at the very beginning of the movie where Lefty asks Don to look at a diamond. The diamond is, according to the movie, Fugazi or fake. So that's how the movie shows you getting in with the mob. But what I found interesting was throughout most of the rest of the movie, there's not really any other jewelry-related jobs. Was that actually how you got connected with the mob as a jeweler? Yeah, as a jewel thief. Yeah. And actually, that wasn't my real introduction into any mob guys. Actually, the, the first family I had infiltrated was the Columbos. And then I moved over to the uh, to the Bonanos. And uh, that scene in real, you know, in real life came later on uh, when I had first met Ruggiero. You know, again, they're, they're making a two hour movie. So they had a, you know, they had to have a good uh, a good entrance, so to speak. But uh, I actually made contact with with the Lucchese's 
but I, I never really hung around with them doing anything illegal. Then I was introduced to the Columbos and I, I spent time with the Columbos. And then after uh, having a problem with a, a couple of Colombo guys, I, I had to get get away from them. And, and that's when I started hanging around with the Bananos. But that, like, again, that scene came later on in the operation. OK, so they sped up the timeline quite a bit in the movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Speaking of getting connected, Leo, how did you get connected with Joe and with the idea to, to start your podcast? Before I answer that, you said uh, speed up the movie. I have movies that I did. I wish they speeded up right through the damn thing. <laughs> and it lasted two minutes. You know? <laughs> Dan, uh, excuse me, Leo. I, I don't know if you know, but but Leo's made like 109 movies. <laughs> yeah. It's actually 112, Joe. But <laughs> <laughs> He's made I'm a sorry, few Leo. since. <laughs> I was put her off. No, um, when you are filming a movie like that, that's based on truth, we have a thing in our business. Joe is well aware of it now, and it's called dramatic license. And uh, Joe was on the set all the time. And they still, you know, were trying to push to do things that really didn't happen. But it, it's, what did you say, Joe? It's about 70% on the money, 75%? Yeah, it's about 85, yeah. All right, but, you know, so it's on the money. It, but there are some things that they take, um, you know, liberty with. And they say dramatic license. Uh, it's part of the nature of the beast. And what you want to do is make a good movie, you know, and still be authentic. The weather is getting nicer, which means now is the perfect time to plan ahead for summer fun. Personally, I'm hoping to be able to visit my family this summer, and that means booking flights as soon as possible before the prices go up. And now you can help ensure your money is there when you need it with today's sponsor, Earn In. Just download the Earn In app, verify your paycheck, and watch your earnings tick up as you work. Access up to $100 a day and up to $750 per pay period so you can start making your summer plans now. It's free and easy to get started. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in True Story under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. True Story under podcast. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Thanks, Earn In. One of the those things that they did change that we kind of talked about a little bit earlier, Joe, was when Donnie Brasco is going home to his wife and, and three kids. And that's, it seems like there's, there's quite a bit of interaction there, but I also noticed there's quite a bit of interaction with uh, the FBI agents where he's handing off tapes. Uh, we see written reports and so on. Uh, there's one point, one uh, scene where some of the dialogue says, uh, one of the agents says that it's standard operating procedure to, uh, for ha- to have Donnie check in at least once a day, maybe miss a day or two here or there. But as I was watching this, it seemed like, for being deep undercover, there's a lot of contact with the f- uh, family, FBI. How well did the movie do showing your contact with 
the FBI and your family while you were undercover? Well, I only had one contact agent. It wasn't like that I met with two, three guys. And I would meet with him whenever I felt I had any information of value. So, I, you know, maybe sometimes I'd, I'd, I'd meet him every two weeks. Maybe I'd see him every three, three, four weeks. So that was infrequent. And as I said, my family lived across country, so I didn't see them too often. But, you know, again, I was told by the, the writers and the director that, uh, you know, we, we got to make you a likable person. And that's the way they made me a likable person by more interaction with my wife and more interaction with, with the FBI because they said, you know, you're doing stuff that normal FBI agents don't do. So we got to make you likable. And that's the only way we can make you likable. If that made any sense, I don't know, but that's what they did. Yeah, they, they were, they were shooting in the breeze there. Yeah. That's just uh, what happens. And Joe was on the set. I mean, you know, that's the one thing that always stuck out with me. We did a one man show. Joe wrote it with myself and Bobby Moresco, a wonderful writer. And Bobby directed it, and we opened in Chicago Center for the Performing Arts. And on opening night, Joe's three daughters were there. And afterward, you know, it was a big success. And uh, I got to talking to them. And the one thing they said is, we didn't know how lonely it was for Daddy, you know, because... You know, he wasn't with the wise guys, you know, 24-7, almost. But then he was by himself. And uh, that's uh, that's quite a sacrifice to make. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one that you don't really think about when you're just watching the movie. Because the, in the movie, you get the sense that, okay, you can pretty much go home whenever you want and, and see your family. and But that's not the case. Yeah, exactly. And uh, they didn't show much of you know, of, of my apartment and you know what I mean? Just hanging around the apartment. So yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, now that you think about it, it, it was very good observation. I have to ask about the lion. <laughs> the movie shows it as a, a gift from Sonny Black to Lefty because he likes animals. And then after that, there's a scene, Lefty and Donnie go grab like it, like 40 or 50 hamburgers and feed it through the car window. <laughs> and later we see it in the parking lot. Was it real? Actually, Dan, we did have a lion. Really? <laughs> <laughs> and what happened was is that we got it as a cub. And these guys thought that was cute. They forgot that l cubs grow up to be lions, you know. And we kept it in, in the club. Oh, wow. And uh, then it started to get big. And then it, <laughs> I mean, and then, then it became, you know, kind of nasty because it, it, it was a lion. So what we did was... Uh, Sonny Black's cousin had a, a warehouse that was uh, vacant. So we put the lion in the warehouse. <laughs> you know, and then we go every day and, and throw it steaks, you know. And then it got to be, you know, this is crazy. What are we doing with this lion? You know, because, uh, number one, the lion was eating $100 a day worth of steaks. <laughs> and two, who's going in there to clean up the joint, you know? So what we did was they called a wrangler, an animal wrangler. And he says, I, I, I don't want the lion. You tell me what you want me to do with it, but I'm not. And this made the, this made the New York papers. 
They said, well, get it, take it to the park and chain it to a tree in the park. And, and what? That makes sense, right? Sure. Yeah, That's what you do with a lion. True story. And once you do that, we'll call the local precinct and tell them, hey, there's a lion chained to the tree. Well, the desk sergeant, he, he thought it was BS, you know. He thought it was, you know, some drunk guy calling and hallucinating. Uh, so what the hell are we going to do? There's this lion chained, chained to a tree in the park. <laughs> so they got this couple from the neighborhood, and they gave them a couple hundred bucks, and they said, hey, look, you go to the precinct, tell them you're walking in a park, and there's a lion chained to a tree at this location. So they finally believed it. And it made the, it made the, well, I think it was both the post and, and, the, and the news it was front page lion found chained to a tree <laughs> in, in such and such a park. But we did have a lion for, for about six or eight months. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's amazing that these guys are so sharp with the criminal activities, right? But as far as like, what well, you don't think the cub's going to grow up to be a lion? <laughs> what would you think? It was a midget? And then, Joe, tell him the story about Lefty, Milwaukee, and the, the thing. I don't want to give it away. But geography, he, he wasn't too good at geography. To shorten the story, the FBI had an undercover operation going in Milwaukee. So I engineered to get the Bananos to come out to Milwaukee to uh former marriage with the Milwaukee Mafia family. So me and the other undercover agent, we're in a car and we're riding the other undercover agent. He's showing us around the city and we're down along the lake. And uh, he says to me and Lefty, you know, that's that's one of the great lakes. So <laughs> Lefty looks at him. He said, that's not the lake. What is it? He said, it's the ocean. So I said, no, left, that's the lake. He said, Donnie, you know, sometimes you're stupid. I says, well, yeah. So, you know, on the on the Great Lakes, they have these big freighters, you know. He says, you see that big ship out there? I said, yeah. He said, you think that ship can sail in a lake being that big? That's the ocean. I said, yeah, left, you're right, that's the ocean. <laughs> At some point, just give up. All right. How much work can you argue? You're in the middle. Of, you're in the middle of the country. <laughs> uh, oh that's man, that's. I'll tell you the big surprising thing to me in knowing Joe as well as I do over all these years was that he didn't figure out a way to kill Lefty. <laughs> there were many times he told me have a lot of patience there huh <laughs> he, yeah, he, he he was a tough guy to deal with man he was he was tough he was a tough guy but he was my you know <clears throat> he was my rabbi man he was my rabbi for the mob you know there's a there's a funny thing that a lot of these mob guys they know the history of the mob Oh, he was he was an encyclopedia, Leo. Encyclopedia. See? Yep, yep. You know, as you're supposed to know your business. I mean, I went in and pitched a movie once uh, to young executives at Paramount. And at the end of my pitch, I said, really, this is a modern-day 
on the waterfront. Now, wait a minute. You don't have to know all the movies. But you have, but you better know on the waterfront if you're in the business. Yeah, better. <laughs> I mean, and it was blank stares. And I realized they didn't know. No, they're not into history of, of your business anymore, you know. Yeah, it's a different thing. Leo, what's one of your favorite stories that you've learned since starting the podcast and diving in deeper to all that? Really, that Joe does not suffer fools. I've learned this. Joe does not like people that just to show their power position, break balls and try to keep you under their thumb. Okay. And that led to Joe quitting the FBI. And we get into that in the second season. But uh, yeah, and jealousy, I, you know, from outsider looking in, there was a lot of jealousy toward Joe because, uh, you know, they thought that he was just, I don't know what, was it was a garden party? He put his life on the day, every night if you go out. You don't know, you know. Um, but that's that's probably the biggest, yeah. Going back to the movie, there were a few times where we see you, Joe, almost getting caught. There's the time at the Japanese restaurants where Donnie refuses to take off his boots. We find out later there's a tape recorder in there. There's another scene where Donnie gets recognized as Joe Pistone by a U.S. attorney named Holman in the airport. And so we see you know, Donnie has to punch him out to not blow cover. Did any of those close calls actually happen? Yeah. Yeah, they did. It was a, a former AUSA that I worked with, and uh, we were, I was in the airport with, with Sonny Black, and uh, we were going the opposite way. We were going to cross, and he's calling, you know, hey, I hadn't seen him in a long time. And uh, to shut him up, I, you know, I walked up to him and gave him a crack. And uh, Sonny says, why'd you do that? And I said, Sonny, the guy was going for my prick. What, what, what do you want me to do? <laughs> <laughs> Man, you have to think fast in order to come up with something. Uh, you know, kids pay a lot of money for improv classes. Joe could have taught him a, a whole bag of tricks, man. <laughs> uh, Leo, what's, what's a, a true story that you've learned through the podcast that really stood out to you as being something that was different from the way that the movie shows something happening? You know, it's there's just – you're with guys – that and I always knew there was danger. Okay, we say danger, but they. Uh, what's the line? It's always a friend that does the deed. So these guys that you're getting close to, if you got somebody's nose out of joint, if there was some suspicion, some slip up. I mean, it's all those meetings you go to late at night in warehouses. You could get popped at any one of those. And Joe, nobody could tell him that, oh, everything is just sealed. And no, it's not that way in real life. And there was just many times I said, you didn't really. Why, why would you go? Because I had to go. But Joe, you know that guy didn't like you. He had to go. And, you know, thank God that, that it always, uh, you know, he survived it all. I want to ask about the, the family side of things. We talked a little bit about, you know, how the movie 
had, threw a lot of that in and it didn't really happen. But after the operation was over and you got a chance to reconnect with your family more, how how did that affect them? And, you know, knowing that these dangers that, you know, they didn't know how lonely it was, but they didn't know all, all the dangers and, and all that. And uh, spe- I don't know if, you know, listening to the podcast now, maybe they're hearing some details about things that they didn't know. How did, how did that operation affect your family? Well, you know, uh, the only thing I can, I can say, Dan, is that, uh, thankfully, you know, all my kids turned out great. Nobody has ever showed resentment is what I'm saying, you know? And I think the reason being is that they, they know the reason why I did it. Uh, they know it wasn't because I wanted to get away from the, you know, guys going to undercover because they want to get away from their families or they want to get away from their, their supervisors. That wasn't the reason I did. I did it because to me, that was a, a good way of, of conducting the investigation. So they knew that, that I had good intentions and in, in all my under, you know, cause that wasn't the first undercover operation I had, you know, and um, what the effects is, the only thing I can say is they all turned out to be, you know, good, good kids. And I think that that's a, a testament to their mother you know, uh, raising them and that, uh, they knew the real reason why, I, you know, why I did my undercover work. And also, uh, once the people meet Maggie, Joe's wife, she's tougher than he is. How's that? <laughs> Let me just say that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, that's good, good to, to know. Cause that is something that, you know, the movie puts a lot of um, emphasis on the family side and the strain in the marriage and, you know, asking for divorce and, and, and with the kids. And so it's good to hear that that part of it is not true. <laughs> yeah. Like I say, you know, we never went to a psychiatrist, you know, did we have beefs on the telephone? You know, cause most of my contact was on the phone and, you know, for instance, uh, you're 1500 miles away and it's like the lawnmower don't work. <laughs> Who gives a F? <laughs> you know, go get a lawnmower man or one time uh the dishwasher's broken well call a maytag guy i said he's not doing anything you see him sitting there all day that didn't go over too good though that that called for a hang-up you know <laughs> A joke can be acerbic when he chooses. <laughs> yeah, he's got a whole treasure trove of one-liners. <laughs> but, you know, it's all good. It all turned out good. Knock on wood and thank God, you know, thank God first. We did talk about this uh, very briefly, but I want to ask about probably the most violent scene in the movie when we see Sonny Black and his guys ambush Sonny Red and his guys in the basement of the house. How accurate was that scene in the movie? Those guys did get clipped, but uh, it was actually in a restaurant. It was a setup uh, where they thought they were going to, to sit down to iron out iron out differences in the family. But it was pretty gruesome. I mean, they, you know, they opened up on it pretty good. It sounds kind of like what you were saying, Leo, where you you go to a meeting and you never know when that might be the end. Yeah, I mean, Joe probably went to hundreds of meetings over the six years. You know that. Could have turned ugly, man. And and you just don't know. I mean, now, it, one thing that people did know, they knew the Bonanos that were, you know, Joe was in that crew. They knew that their time on this earth was limited because they 
brought him in. Tony Mira, Lefty Ruggiero, Sonny Black Napolitano. Now, you know, Lefty made it through because he was going to a meeting where he was going to be whacked. But Sonny Black knew. Well, let me ask Joe. Joe, do you believe he knew definitely he was going to get clipped when he went to that meeting? Oh, oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You don't get called to a meeting and leave all your money, your keys, except your car keys, your ring, you know, all your possessions with the bartender. And he says to the bartender, I just got called to a sit down and I'm probably not coming back. Hold on to these and give him the Judy, you know. So <laughs> he knew he was going to get clipped. That's a real gangster. You know, that, that's a real gangster, man. Yep. If I'm correct, Joe, nobody in that whole crew flipped? No, not during that operation. I mean, they flipped 10 years later, maybe, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. 15 years later. But none of our guys, none of the guys that we arrested at that particular time flipped. Guys, Bonanno's flipped, you know, like I say, maybe 15, 20 years later. I mean, they were they were tough. Yeah. Every one of them. They were tough. The way the movie shows the whole operation ending, there's the contract that Lefty and Donnie are given to wax Sunny Red Sun, Bruno. And then Lefty says it'll make Donnie a made guy. They track him to a boat. Just before they attack, the FBI shows up and arrests everyone. And as I was watching that, I was like, oh, man, this timing is it just seemed like, you know, Hollywood's perfect timing. <laughs> <laughs> that was Hollywood perfect. <laughs> How did it really come to an end? Well, what happened was is that there was a uh, obviously a rift within the Bonanno family for power. The guys I was with, Sonny Black and, and the other guys, you know, were the ones that took out the three captains that were uh, that were trying to take over the family. There were supposed to be four guys there. Only three showed up. And then I get the contract to kill the guy that didn't show. <clears throat> so now there's a war going on, in, you know, within the family. So basically, they figure, well, you know, now it's time to shut the operation down because now it's a shooting war. So we just close the operation down, and and then I start going to grand juries, et cetera, et cetera, and and uh, that's when they start whacking guys. That's when they start whacking uh, Mira and and Sonny Black, and uh, well, Jilly Greco, Jilly uh, the Columbo guy, got whacked first. And then, like like Leo said, Lefty was on his way to the club, and uh, we picked up on a wire that uh, that they're going to whack him when he gets there. They said, and the FBI grabbed him off the street. You know what? I never asked you, Joe. When you know the contract was on Bruno was given to you, if that was another capo that you know was supposed to be there didn't show up. If he said, guys, look, I'm coming over, would they have let that go as opposed to knowing Bruno's father was clipped in that hit and he would never? No, no, they, they would not have given him a pass at all. Yeah, never. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. Because you have to remember, he was in on the Galenti hit. He was a shooter, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. On the Carmine Galenti hit. So, no, they would never have given him a pass. It seems like there, we were talking earlier, there's a lot of improv <laughs> to that. What sort of ideas are like kind of racing through your head? You try to talk yourself out of some of these situations. Like when you get that contract, is that something like, okay, right away, you know that you have to end this operation that's been going on for so long? 
No, you know, you, you get the contract and you, you say, okay, and you, you know, you go look for the guy. I get in touch with my contact agent and tell him, look, this is the story. I got the contract to kill Bruno. So the deal was if I find him, I'll call the FBI and they'll come and snatch him and we'll stage a hit. Or if they find him first, because they're out looking for him too, uh, we do the same thing. We'll stage a hit and then say that, you know, that, that I whacked him. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to go whack him, you know. Well, right. That, that's why I'm. I'm <laughs> that, that that was kind of my my point there. Is like you got got to have mind racing. Okay, okay. How how do I have to make this look? <laughs> yeah. But you know, uh, th- let me say this to you: if, if if it came to a situation between me and him, it, it was going to be him, because with these guys, when you're given a contract, it's your responsibility that that the guy gets killed. So if you're a mob guy, you don't negotiate and, and, uh, I can't, you know, I can't say, Hey, you know, I'm really an undercover FBI agent because they killed me on the spot because they say, yeah, you've been doing this for, you know, that I'm going on six years and you're telling us you're, you're an FBI agent. So you, you know, you, you have to, you have to play along with it. And, uh, so I went out looking for him. I went to Miami, looked for him. Because that's what they thought he was. Uh, but if, if it came down to a situation it was me or him, it was going to be him because I, I'm not dying for a gangster. You know? Well, you mentioned where you know, saying you're not going to come out and say that you're an FBI agent. But that leads me into my next question, because at the very end of the movie, we see that scene with Lefty, you know, leaving all his things. Yeah. But then FBI agents show up to show photos of Donnie Brasco to Sonny Black. And even then, they still don't believe that you were an agent. They think that this is a trick. Did they still not believe after they were told? No, they didn't. They thought that the FBI had kidnapped me and was trying to uh, flip me. And it was their their way of telling them that, you know, you guys should flip. And But yeah, they didn't, they didn't believe it until uh, actually until some indictments came out. And then, of course, you know, on the indictments, it it mentions undercover agent. So, well, I think in my business now, it's Joe's business too, uh, the movie business. Joe would have heard because the guy still believed that he was not, you know, FBI agent. It would have said, and the Academy Award for Best Actor. Joseph Pistone. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. At the, the very end of the movie, there's some text that, that talks about those indictments. It says that you collected evidence that led to over 200 indictments, over 100 convictions, and there was also a $500,000 contract. You know, that was wrong. And I, I, the first I saw that was when I saw the movie. I mean, nobody ever, nobody ever asked me about that, you know, about those credits. And we actually convicted 235 people. <laughs> That's how many convictions we had over all the trials. Oh, wow. And I was like, where the hell did they get those numbers from? Uh, nobody ever asked me how many how many convictions we had. And Seems like the simplest thing to, uh, to fix in a movie, too. It's just text. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. They know more than you do. You know, that's the I guess that's their uh, reason. Joe, didn't your picture appear in the the post or uh, was it the daily news early on when like when all of a sudden this thing broke and you came out from deep cover i thought there was a picture of you in the newspaper was it no no oh okay 
Yeah, because that's got to be sacred material, man. You know, you can't put your kisser uh, in the newspaper. Uh-huh. Well, after it was over, what was what was it like? Like, did you feel relief that it was over? I mean, you've been doing that for years. What was it like once it was actually over? That was the first operation that I, I didn't want it to end at that time, only because I had been proposed for membership in the family. I was due to get uh, inducted into the Bananos in December. And uh, with this war going on and everything, and the FBI, didn't, they, they didn't want to wait. So we closed it down. And, and I think it was July 27th. But, you know, my my thing was, you know, why close it down? You know, I mean, can you imagine the embarrassment when it comes out? They inducted an, an undercover FBI agent into a mafia family. I mean, because, you know, up, up until that point, everybody thought the mafia was untouchable, which they basically were, you know. But there was no downtime because once the operation ended, I go to D.C. for a debriefing. And then I have to go to the Southern District of New York, the Eastern District of New York, Miami, uh, Tampa and Milwaukee. I have to go to those uh, districts that sit down with the attorneys that are prosecuting the different cases, go to grand juries. You know, there, there was no going to the islands and relaxing. And then once all the indictments came out, then you start preparing for court. So that operation was a six-year operation, and I think I testified for a little over six years. <laughs> That's so. Oh, wow. I don't know if I should say this, Joe, but we are doing the comedy version of Donnie Brasco, a movie at, at the end where Joe comes out, he goes, I'm going to Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> and then they present me with a Corvette. <laughs> <laughs> there <you go. laughs> Is there anything that didn't make it into the movie that you wish had? I would have liked to have seen more of how I engineered, you know, I, I don't know how much you know about the mafia, uh, Dan, but you know, the mafia has, uh, throughout the United States, each family has their own territory where they can conduct their business. One family can't go into another family's territory. And I, I wish there was more of showing how I was able to uh, uh, form a marriage between the Bananos and the Milwaukee family to do business and the Bananos and Santo Traficani in Florida to do business. That was just touched on lightly. And what happened in Milwaukee, as far as that operation getting blown, I wish that would have been shown more because there were some would have been some good danger scenes, if that's the correct word. And then the three sit downs that they had over me with this gangster, Tony Mira, where he claimed I stole money from the family. If you get convicted of that, you're dead, you know, because that's one of the things that will get you killed, stealing money from the family. You know, luckily, Sonny Black was my lawyer, you know what I mean, at these sit-downs. He represented me, and he won all three sit-downs. But if, if he loses, I'm dead. You know, they kill you. Just, there ain't no way to get out of it, you know. So it's pretty much like a trial, it sounds like. Yeah, that's basically what it is. You know, they bring their sides and lie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just like politicians, right? <laughs> when they're having hearings and everything. So they bring their side, and they lie. And then, I mean, my side was honest because I didn't steal money. 
But normally it's, you know, they bring their witnesses and they lie and the other side brings their, their witnesses and they lie. And, you know, they have a medi- mediator and he decides, you know, which side wins, you know. And Sonny Black was was a stronger advocate, you know, for me. And it was all the truth. You know, I had nothing I had nothing to lie because I never stole, you know, one time it was 250000 And then I don't know what it was another time, you know, because Mira didn't like me. We got into a beef and. Uh, he wanted to get rid of me, and that was the best way to get rid of me. So, hmm. it sounds like that would be an yeah a way to 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 get rid of somebody if you don't if you don't want them. You just pin this on them, and and oh yeah, yeah, just yeah, just whack them after. Well, you know, Joe, um, really in the annals of crime, the mafia, organized crime, what he did, how he you use the word Joe engineer. He engineered himself into dealing with two capos, two capos, two, two heads of families, Frank Bullistreri in Milwaukee and Santo Traficante in Miami. He shook hands with them, dealt with them. It's unheard of. He was, he wasn't a made guy. Although Sonny Black did a couple times did introduce you as a friend of ours. Yeah. But. I mean, that is unheard of that he anybody could get that close, even if he wasn't undercover, because he wasn't a made guy. It's unbelievable. It's very rare to sit down with a boss, you know, if you're not in his inner circle. Would that be seen as suspicious that you're able to get that close? Suspicious to whom? By whom? I'm just thinking, you know, if if it's if that's so rare and other members of either family are, are noticing that you're trying to get close to the boss if that starts to raise some warning flags or anything well if you don't do it right yeah we had a proposition for him and i was able to convince the bananos that that the proposition was uh would be beneficial to us but you know i always had conversations where i always left it up to them you know look it's not my decision if you want to if you want to trust so-and-so, you know, that's your decision. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on to chat about Donnie Brasco. I know we've mentioned a few times you do have your own podcast that dives into a lot more detail than we ever could uh, here in a single episode here. But for someone that's listening to this and wants to get more information, can you give an overview of your show and where they can find it? Yeah, it's a deep cover, The Real Donnie Brasco, and uh, Jam Street Media, Spotify, or wherever you uh, listen to your podcast. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Joe and I get down and uh, it's, uh, I I have a good time. And uh, the results from, you know, the different viewers and, and their comments uh, has been thumbs up. So we continue to continue. (laughs) Thank you again so much for your time, guys. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. See you, Dan. Be well. This episode of Based on a True Story was produced by me, Dan LeFebvre. And me, Mackenzie Davis. I'd like to thank Joe Pistone and Leo Rossi once again for taking the time to help us separate fact from fiction in 1997's Donnie Brasco. If you want to learn even more about the true story, of course, there's the book that Joe wrote called Donnie Brasco, My Undercover Life in the Mafia. But if you're listening to this, then I'm going to assume that you love podcasts as much as I do. So... 
As soon as you're done listening to this episode, go check out Joe and Leo's excellent show over at deepcoverpodcast.com. And if you're driving or unable to jot that down right now, you can always find the links to that book and their podcast in the show notes for this episode and on the show's home on the web based on a true story podcast.com. Okay, now it's time for the answer to our two truths and a lie game from the beginning of the episode. And as a refresher, here are the two truths and one lie. Number one, Joe did not visit his family as frequently as we see in the movie. Number two, Joe's undercover work resulted in 100 convictions just like the movie shows. And number three, there really was a lion. Did you find out which one is a lie? Let's start with number one. Joe did not visit his family as frequently as we see in the movie. That is true. Even though the movie depicts Johnny Depp's version of Donnie Brasco driving to his family's house throughout the operation, the truth is that Joe's family was some 1,500 miles away, so he didn't get to visit them all the time like we see in the movie. That brings us to number two. Joe's undercover work resulted in 100 convictions just like the movie shows. That is, well, that's the lie. As we learned, the filmmakers didn't actually consult Joe on the text that we see at the end of the movie, and the truth is that Joe's work led to 235 convictions. That means number three is also true. There really was a lion. Although, it was not given as a full-grown lion like we see in the movie. As Joe told us, they got it as a lion cub, but... Lion cubs grow up, and before long they realized they couldn't really keep a lion as a pet, so they ended up getting rid of it by simply leaving it in a park for someone else to find. That just about wraps up our time together today. Before we go, the last thing I like to do on each episode is to share how much time and effort went into creating this episode. I know that's not something that most podcasts do, and that's exactly why I'm sharing this information, because if there's one thing that's surprising to most people who are new to podcasting or have never created a podcast before, it's just how much time and effort goes into creating them. So I figure maybe if you find out a little bit more about how much time and money goes into creating a podcast like mine, then maybe you'll start to appreciate all the podcasts you listen to for free just a little bit more. With that said, today's episode took a total of 33 hours to create and cost $38.47 in out-of-pocket expenses. And as I always do, I want to make it clear that time and cost is only my time for this one episode. In other words, that 33 hours did not include, well, the years of my guest's time living the undercover operation that we talked about. It also doesn't include the time it takes for me to do podcast-related things that are not part of creating this one episode. For example, the time it takes to maintain the Based on a True Story website, social media, email newsletter, and all those little things outside creating a podcast episode that are required to make a podcast. Similarly, on the expenses side, that $38.47 is just for things specifically for this one episode. It does not include all the podcast-related expenses that go beyond making a single episode. For example, the cost of the microphone that I'm talking into right now, the cables hooked up to the microphone, the audio interface, the computer, the software, and all the podcast and website hosting costs, and on and on. All those things take time to set up and maintain, and they cost money that go beyond things associated with this one episode, but they're all things that are required because if I didn't do those things, there wouldn't be any episodes based on a true story at all. In a nutshell, this podcast may be free to listen to, but it is not free to create, and that is why I'm so thankful for the wonderful people who are helping to support this show financially so we can keep it going. So if you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll consider helping to support the next episode over at basedonatruestorypodcast.com slash support. And as a bonus, you'll get access to over 60 exclusive episodes on the producer's feed, with more being added all the time. Over there, we look at how completely fictional movies deal with history and real life to make them seem just a little bit more believable. For example, we covered the history in movies like Pirates of the Caribbean. Did you know that there really was a pirate code? 
Wasn't really like anything we see in the movie, of course, but it never is, is it? And there's more. Jurassic Park, the entire Back to the Future franchise, the entire Mummy franchise. Next week, we'll be looking at Inglorious Bastards, and there are so many more. You can find out how to get access to that by supporting the show over at basedonatruestorypodcast.com slash support. Once again, that's basedonatruestorypodcast.com slash support. Until next time, thanks so much for listening, and I'll chat with you again really soon.